You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today is going to be a solo show titled Four Ways to Build Self-Trust in Life and Recovery. And I'm really excited about this episode because it seems to be coming up for many of my clients and the members of the Recovery Collective. But before we dive into that, I wanted to let all of you know some more life updates. So first of all, this is my first week in Portugal after I moved out of my old apartment with my ex-partner. I put all of my stuff in storage and went to Mexico for a week. Then I went home for a week and then I shipped off to Europe and I'm planning this month-long trip here. And it really all came about because we are planning a big retreat in the Valley of Portugal called Valle de Moses. And this is all really thanks to my coaching colleague, Anne Claire, who encouraged us to do this. So anyway, the retreat starts in two days and I'm really excited. For now, I've been staying in this little beach town on the coast with Anne Claire. It's like a cute little surf city called Costa de Caparica, and I'm definitely not pronouncing that correctly. And I'm really leaning into this work remote life. This Wednesday, I had a tour of a national park here called Arabida. And we went cliff jumping and snorkeling. We had lunch and a wine tasting. It was like summer camp for adults. It was amazing and one of the coolest days of my life. And Anne Claire was working that day. So she didn't come with me, but this entire experience has really been giving me a sense of self-trust that I've never experienced before. You know, I've lived in many different cities. I've traveled alone, but never extensively. And my confidence level is going up and I can feel a sense of like healthy pride in myself when I interact with people and they ask me why I'm here, what I'm doing. It's really cool to be able to say that I've built a business where I can travel the world and help people and work remotely and talk to people all all over the globe. So it's been pretty cool. I've really been building this coaching practice for like seven years now. And I'm not even kidding. I took my first coaching certification when I was 24. And many of those years I had to work a full-time job to coach on the side. And there are times it's been excruciatingly hard to do this, not just on myself 
when it comes to hours wise, like working a full-time job and building up a coaching practice, but more so really, really challenging when it comes to going against the grain of what society really expected of me at that time. I really do feel like the culture I was raised in was to value like climbing the corporate ladder and earning super high salaries. And over the years, it's been really hard for me to see friends and even my twin sister like climb the ladder at these corporate jobs, earning these amazing salaries with amazing benefits, and really making these kind of safe, smart decisions. And entrepreneurship has been like a source of joy, but also sometimes a source of shame because you really have no idea if it's going to work out. I, at least I I wasn't super over-optimistic. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. I'm just going to keep going. And it always felt like a risk because if I left it, I'd have to start over again in a way. So anyway, this is truly the first time in my life I've been experiencing the freedom I was truly aiming for when I started this journey seven years ago. Yes, I've been working on my own in Denver, self-employed for I think a year and a half now, almost two years, but I um, never left that nine to five framework. And now that I'm like exploring and free and I can choose where I want to travel and where I want to be and choose what days I work, I'm just mind blown. And I'm actually feeling really good about taking this risk and going against the grain and I'm telling you, it's like really one of the first times in my life I felt secure in this choice and actually proud of this choice. So anyway, I wanted to let you all in on that because if you are struggling with choosing a decision that's maybe the harder path in life, it can work out. You just have to have a lot of patience and grit and resilience and You know, when it comes to building a business, like if that's something you want to do, you can't give up the first go round. You hear all these success stories where people shoot off to this wonderful like seven figure business after six months of following their path. But that's not really the reality. It's more like you have to stick with it and persevere. And that's really what's been reality for me. It's been a slow burn, slow growth, and I've had to fight through a lot of shame related to comparison and self-worth to really get here. And literally, I would say this week, I'm like, wow, okay, this is amazing. I've stepped into this new level of life where I've arrived at least so much of what I've been working for. And I really wouldn't trade that for anything. So that was a long-winded catch-up, but I really do care about letting you guys know my life a little bit, because I know I like to guide everyone through recovery in these podcasts and give them tips. But also I am human here and I want to make sure that that's clear. So anyway, there's my life update for you. And I'm going to now switch on over, switch gears to talking about self-trust. 
So first of all, self-trust is literally something like building up the knowing that you can and will act in your best interest consistently and that you have your own back. And this isn't like an over-independence or anything like that. It's really knowing that you can act in your own best interest and protect yourself. Basically, you know that you can take care of your own needs and that you can be trusted to be there for yourself and for those around you. And it also means that you will not be constantly violating your own needs and desire. So self-trust is something that builds up through your own life experiences and those moments where you choose to honor yourself and your own needs. I'm assuming we are all born with some level of self-trust. As a baby, for instance, learning to walk, babies have to trust themselves to make it through that process of standing up and falling and standing up and then learning how to walk so naturally. So it's clear we're born with some sort of level of self-trust, but it's also very clear that there are moments in life that knock us down and show us that we can't really trust ourselves. And perhaps there are two or multiple parts of ourselves living within us that are at odds against each other. So maybe there's a part of you that really has the best intentions, and then there seems to be a part that sabotages this need to have your own back and take care of you and act in your own best interest. And all of those different parts of you have been created to essentially protect you and serve you and help you survive on this earth. So I have found with my experience, self-trust is something that you must relearn through life experiences. So today I'm going to go over three ways that you can start building self-trust up in your life and in recovery. So the first way to build up self-trust is to start sticking to your commitments and honoring your commitments. And this essentially means that you are not always at the mercy of your emotions and your moods especially in recovery. I see this all the time where when things aren't going perfectly, so maybe you feel sick or you're in a bad mood or something goes unplanned that doesn't feel really good to you, I typically see that this isn't viewed as an opportunity to flake out on yourself or other people when you're in recovery. So it might look like, oh, well, my friend said something really hurtful to me today and I decided to not do the challenge my dietitian and I set together. And in those moments, self-trust is built when you're feeling really crappy and you actually still honor that commitment. So to build self-trust, you need to stick to your commitments even when you don't feel like it. And of course, there's always a level of self-compassion involved. Like, 
I don't want you waking up at 5 a.m. every morning, even when you are sick or all of that. But I'm talking about healthy, manageable, realistic commitments. And this is going to require a level of awareness about yourself and what you can realistically take on and commit to. Another example of sticking to your commitments in recovery might be if you set a challenge with your dietitian to have breakfast, say, with double carbs every morning. So maybe that's a challenge you guys set. And you've got to follow through on this. And I know many of you will say that that doesn't sound very self-compassionate to force yourself to do something, but you have to be truly intentional about the commitments you make so that you are fully aligned with them and you know that this is a realistic commitment for you. So when you work with your dietitian to set goals, you have to check in with yourself and make sure that that's something that you actually can do. Don't let the people pleaser side of you say yes and then essentially leave the session knowing that that's never going to happen because that actually builds self-distrust and it also builds a distrust between you and your dietitian who thinks you're able to handle this because you're in agreement with it, you present as excited, and then when you come back, you know that you can't do that. You know, that's a violation of yourself, right? So the need to be intentional and honest with yourself when choosing which commitments to stick to is really, really important. And before you agree to any commitment in life, whether that's in recovery or not, you've got to make sure that it aligns with your core values. So after you've determined that it does, you also need to be honest with yourself about whether or not you can follow through. I like to say, know yourself. (laughs) For instance, Checking in with yourself about the breakfast challenge I just brought up. If it feels too overwhelming, you can start to build self-trust by starting with a little bit smaller of a commitment. So instead of doing a breakfast with double carbs every day, maybe challenge yourself to do breakfast with double carbs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you will be able to more easily stick to this commitment and then essentially build up that sense of self-trust by stacking up those smaller victories and building upon them. So it might look like, okay, we're going to do this goal Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay, I nailed that. Let me do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And then you just build up week by week until you're having double carbs at breakfast every single morning. And that is how you build up self-trust. That's why I love talking about baby steps. But remember, the commitment you make must be aligned with yourself and it must be realistic for you. And trust me, I can go on a rant about sticking to your commitments socially and professionally and all of that. I might even make a whole episode on this, but energetically, you will start to trust yourself more and people around you 
will start to trust you more if you can actually do what you say you're going to do and follow through with the things that you commit to. I wanted to give you all a little idea about knowing yourself and picking realistic commitments to stick to. So of course, there are so many of us who want to become a morning person, especially in the personal development field. There are so many people who really crack the whip on wake up at 5 a.m. every day and you'll get ahead and blah, blah, blah. And I freaking love to sleep. I like to sleep in I'm also sort of a night owl, but there's a part of me that really, really does love to be the early bird that catches the worm. Now, I could say to myself, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. every single day this week. And guess what? That is being so inconsiderate of where I am right now. Like, it would be way more realistic for me to say, okay, Let's say baseline, I wake up around 8 a.m. every day. Maybe I would say, okay, this week I'm going to try to wake up at 7.30 every other day. And that's me knowing myself and that's me setting a realistic goal. And that's something I might actually be able to achieve instead of setting my alarm for 5 a.m. and in the moment snoozing it over and over again and then hating myself because I couldn't stick to that commitment. I've, I haven't really checked in with the reality of that. So that's one example I wanted to highlight there. So not only do you want to make the baby steps, but you want to make sure these baby steps are things you can actually stick to. Other examples of sticking to your commitments in life might look like you know, going to your friend's birthday party instead of bailing because you don't feel like it or sending up the follow-up email you promised on time. And it might even look like getting somewhere on time. So if you say you're going to be somewhere at 6.30, actually plan ahead and get there by 6.30. These sorts of things build up self-trust. And I just want you to view sticking to your commitments as a very simple way to start recognizing that you do have your own back and you can rely on yourself and that you can act in your own best interest consistently. And there's nothing selfish about acting with your own best interest in mind. A lot of times recovery becomes this constant struggle of violating your own boundaries and struggling to honor your own needs. So this is a really small way you can start acting in your own best interest that is aligned with your core values. The next way you can start to build up self-trust is by speaking up. So often in recovery, it seems like we are all so scared to speak up because we don't want anyone to judge us. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We are putting everyone else's needs above our own. And when you do that consistently, you can't trust yourself anymore because you're just going to lose your sense of self. You're losing your voice, 
when you are constantly putting everyone's needs above yours and not speaking up when you need to. It's actually really harmful to stay quiet and not speak up for yourself. So when you do start vocalizing your needs and advocating for yourself, you are building up a huge sense of self-trust slowly. And with lived experience, it will become easier and easier for you to trust yourself the more you can do this. An example of this might be if you're in recovery and you've agreed to go on this big road trip with friends, maybe you're with a bunch of people who are not disordered with their eating, they're on a road trip, but they've been driving for a really long time and you know deep down that you have a meal plan to follow and you need a snack ASAP. You don't have anything in the car, but you know there's a rest stop coming up in a few miles. Building self-trust would be speaking up in that moment and saying, hey guys, I'm super hungry. Can we make a pit stop coming up in this next exit? And they'd say, absolutely, yes, I was hungry too. I wish someone had said that earlier. Literally, that always happens, by the way. When someone says they're hungry, usually everyone else chimes in and says, yeah, I could probably eat something too, especially in moments like road trips with friends. In this example, when you speak up about needing a snack, you are completely aligned with your core values when it comes to striving towards recovery, and you are proving to yourself once again that you have your own back and that you can trust yourself not to stay quiet and starve and violate your commitments and go back on your commitments with your dietitian and all of that. So chances are you'll feel actually really good about yourself when you speak up and say, you know, I'm actually really hungry and I do need to eat something. And that outcome is going to prove to you that you are capable of trusting yourself and you can trust yourself. If you sat there quietly for another two hours and didn't say anything about what you were needing in that moment, you're just going to leave that experience feeling awful because you took a step back in your recovery when all you had to do was say one sentence to change the course of the day. So speaking up is really huge. Another example of speaking up in recovery is actually being able to speak up against your eating disorder. So when you hear your eating disorder screaming loudly at you, take a second to pause and step into your healthy self and try to challenge those eating disorder thoughts. And even if you don't always win that internal dialogue against your eating disorder, making the effort to engage with it and do your best to battle it will help you recognize that you can trust yourself to engage in recovery-oriented thoughts and eventually recovery-oriented actions. Okay, so the third way to start building up a sense of self-trust in your life and recovery is by clearly creating boundaries. Creating boundaries starts with building awareness around your feelings and emotions in given moments. Is there anything or anyone who triggers anger, 
fear or anxiety within you. Those emotions are trying to tell you something. And oftentimes there's some sort of unconscious boundary that's been pushed or violated on your end when those sorts of emotions are coming up. I also know resentment is a huge sign that a boundary of yours has been crossed. And oftentimes you haven't clearly articulated this boundary. You don't really know how these emotions came to be because the boundary is not super clear, but that's why it's important to really unpack the emotions that you're experiencing and set boundaries around that situation. Boundaries can be set with words, or you can use your actions to show that a boundary has been put in place, or you can do a combination of both. An example of a boundary that I have is that I will not engage in conversations with people who are talking about dieting or weight loss, or maybe they're shaming their own bodies or judging their own bodies. That's just toxic energy for me with an eating disorder history. It's just stupid for me to hear that stuff. And also, I don't like perpetuating it. I don't want to feel like I'm not living aligned with my values if I'm even around that. So when these sorts of conversations come up, I will typically change the subject or leave the conversation And maybe if I'm feeling comfortable, I might insert a little anti-diet, body acceptance, body liberation comments in there, but it's not my job to change everyone. So usually the boundary is I'm just going to change the subject or walk away. Another example of a boundary that applies to real life is if you work in an office where the company culture is essentially that everyone works late, everyone works really hard, working late is a badge of honor, and the later you work, the better the employee you are. And a person without boundaries might force themselves to go along with this company culture, even though the agreement is that your workday ends around five-ish, right? Maybe six. A person who does not set healthy boundaries for themselves might go along with this company culture and work really hard to the extent where they start resenting their boss. They start dreading going to work. They're super angry. They're super moody and they don't change their behaviors and leave early because they're afraid they're going to get judged by their coworkers or their boss. However, if that person were to set a boundary for themselves and say their boundary was, I'm going to stop working at 6 p.m. every day because I trust myself that I'll get the work done I need by then, right? And even if I don't, I honor my personal life and I will be leaving at 6 p.m. regardless. If that's the boundary, all that person needs to do is close their laptop, pack up their bag, say, toodaloo, coworkers, have a great night, thanks, boss, for a great day, and walk out of the office. It might feel really uncomfortable and weird, but it will remind people that you all agreed to end your workday around five or six, and that this company culture isn't actually balanced. So 
by setting that example and creating that boundary for yourself in that moment, you are protecting yourself from burnout. You are transforming your relationship with the job itself. Maybe you're just more balanced. So you're actually might perform better at your job. You're going to be letting go of all of that resentment you have, and you will be living in much more livable lifestyle where you're protecting your energy and also making sure your personal life isn't deprived because it's equally, if not more important. And finally, by doing this, you have the potential to change that company's culture in a really good way. So sometimes setting a boundary can have this ripple effect because other people will start following your lead and they're going to say, hey, I want to honor myself too. And that's how it works. And side note here is that boundaries are not mean. They are not rude. They are neutral. They are created to protect you from people and things that drain your energy hurt your quality of life, or disturb your sense of inner peace. I can't say this enough. Boundaries are neutral. People should react to them respectfully. And setting a boundary and enforcing it is really the key here. Setting a boundary is one thing, and then enforcing it is how you set up yourself for experiencing true self-trust. So I'm kind of calling out the people who set boundaries but leave a little door open for that person to come back into their life or that situation to hurt them again. If you set boundaries but do not enforce them or clearly act by them, it does send a really confusing message to yourself and other people, and that will destroy your sense of self-trust. Okay, the fourth one is so important, and I have a feeling it's not spoken enough about is to start acting flexibly in unexpected situations. So this final example is truly how I started to build up self-trust as a young adult. I brought this up on a call inside the collective today and I was like, I need to talk about this on my podcast more. So the fourth way to start building up a sense of self-trust, before I dive into my own example, I know that many of my clients try to create a safer world for themselves by controlling everything around them so that everything goes according to plan. And unfortunately, when things don't go according to that plan, it turns into a very black and white thinking situation where the person freaks out, there's an emotional uproar, there's a lot of like thoughts like, I'm a failure, this was a huge mess up, et cetera, et cetera. And in that moment, if that person was to just take a pause and recalibrate and act flexibly, that's when self-trust really can be built. So When I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I had signed a modeling contract and I had an extremely rigid mindset around how my body should look, what my body's measurements should be, what my weight should be. And I also had this rigid idea of how my career would go. And in my head, I would just shoot off into this fame and this international career. 
which was very limited perspective back then. So when my eating disorder went out of control, I lost control of my eating disorder and my body went into famine mode and hijacked the situation and I started to binge eating and I started binge eating and restoring my weight. I literally quit modeling immediately out of shame, feeling like I had failed. There was no flexible thinking about that situation. I was like, things are in chaos, I quit. And maybe if I had paused and thought flexibly in the moment, it wouldn't have been such a traumatic experience for me. Maybe I could have modeled in a less competitive city, or maybe I could have tried acting, or maybe I could have modeled in my natural size. Maybe I could have focused on beauty modeling and not runway modeling, but I didn't let that happen. My brain was super rigid. I quit my dream, which I had been really focused on for a while, and that was all due to black and white thinking, and I don't regret it, but I could have had a more flexible approach, and maybe I could have communicated with my agency about my eating disorder. Maybe I could have gone to treatment for a few months and come back with a healthier perspective about my body. Maybe some education about set point could have been helpful. Either way, the takeaway here is when shit hits the fan, thinking flexibly or thinking on your feet will help you build self-trust. Unfortunately, my example wasn't an example of really building self-trust. It was really just me being rigid. But an example that happened in Portugal this week was really cool where I really was put in a situation where shit was hitting the fan and I had to think on my feet. So quick little story here. Just this Wednesday, I signed up for an 8.30 a.m. tour and I'm staying outside of the city of Lisbon on the beach. But the tour started in the city center, so I woke up really early. I went to call an Uber in the morning, and I had three cars cancel on me. Nobody was wanting to pick me up where I was, and by the time I finally got in an Uber, traffic across the bridge was at a standstill, and looking at the time, I knew that I was not going to make it on this tour, and if I were to make it, it would be the whole tour waited 20 minutes for me to arrive, which obviously that's not going to be happening because I respect other people's times, and they probably wouldn't have done that. And if I was thinking in a rigid way, I would have missed the start of the tour. I would have put my tail between my legs and gotten bummed and sat in traffic and got to Lisbon after the fact. But instead, because I have this sense of self-trust, I looked up the route to this national park where the tour was going on the map and saw that I was actually on the way to this park. So I changed my drop-off location to be at some random mall nearby so I'd avoid the traffic on the bridge. And I actually was able to call the tour guide and explain my situation. And he agreed to pick me up at the mall instead. And I even had time to grab a coffee at the mall. And that was a moment where I really leaned into my flexible thinking to amend the situation. And 
even if they had refused to pick me up, which they could have because I decided to go to the mall before getting their permission or their agreement to pick me up, I knew that I could trust myself to take care of my emotions around missing the tour, find a new plan for the day, and if they didn't pick me up, I could always figure out another way home. And it's really in moments like that where I have the proof and evidence that I can trust myself. And it's like depositing a little bit of self-trust confidence into the bank. Every time I can think flexibly, it really feels good. And it shows me that I have something within me to keep myself safe, to protect myself, and to do the thing that needs to be done. I also wanted to highlight an example from one of my clients, actually, very recently. And we were having a snack session together. Something I typically offer is that I will actually eat fear foods with my clients or try to challenge certain food rules together. And in this moment, my client and I had decided on a snack and she noticed after taking a bite of this snack that there was mold on the snack. And honestly, that is a pretty good reason to freak out, right? Like super gross to think about having a bite of some sort of moldy snack. She showed me the mold. It was definitely there. And in my head, I was like, okay, we're going to be processing this situation for the rest of the session. We're probably just going to be talking about managing the emotions and the fears around eating something that had mold on it. But my client demonstrated amazing flexibility and suggested an alternative snack to eat that was also challenging. And I was, first of all, extremely impressed that she thought to do this. This was a huge act of flexibility. It was an act of honoring her commitment to doing the challenge. It was honoring her future self that knew she would feel bummed that she didn't get to finish a snack challenge during her session. She ended up having that alternative snack in the session as well. And that was an act of extreme flexibility, amazing flexibility, not necessarily extreme, but really good flexibility for this particular individual. And at the end of the day, that is the sort of moment that builds self-trust. Because in moments like that, you have proof that you've acted with your own best interest in mind and with your own recovery in mind. And that individual knew that she'd be disappointed if she hadn't done that, right? And she let the mold scare her away. So that's just my final example of how learning to be flexible in unexpected situations will build up your self-trust. And I really want you to reflect on your life and think about ways you can be more flexible or think about experiences in your life where you were really uncertain about what was going to happen but you figured it out. Being able to navigate really uncertain situations multiple times will help you build self-trust. 
So learning self-trust in this way can also happen when you make big mistakes or tend to fudge things up at times. So not only can this be built in unexpected situations, but it can be built in situations where you just royally screw up and you make a mistake and you want to view that mistake as an opportunity to teach yourself that it will all work out, even if you don't know what that's going to look like yet. Trusting yourself to navigate these moments where you have no idea what your plan's going to be requires practice, which is why you need to practice flexibility in unexpected situations. And again, I just want to say that Building up self-trust as an adult requires, I would say, proven experiences in your life that you can use as evidence that you can do hard things and that you have the ability to think on your feet and, again, be the person you need to be to honor yourself and your own needs. All right, so there you have it, my friends. We have four ways for you to start building up your own sense of self-trust. And just to reiterate, those four ways are, first of all, number one, sticking to your commitments. Number two is speaking up for your own needs and advocating for yourself. Number three is setting boundaries And number four is being flexible in unexpected situations. As you guys know, I am on Instagram. So if any of these resonate with you, please let me know. Just send me a little message and let me know how you practice flexibility or the boundaries you set in your life after listening to this episode. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, I would sincerely appreciate a review on iTunes. Uh, Those really inspire me and keep me going, and they help spread the word about the podcast. So if this show has been helpful for you, please write a review. It would really help us make sure that others hear this content. So anyway, you guys are all the best. I sincerely am so grateful to have you all listening to this show and just know that even though recovery can be really stinking hard and difficult, you just got to keep going. And even if you don't feel like change is happening, I promise that you will start to see the results eventually. (laughs) Actually, you have to trust yourself throughout this process that what you're doing will amount to an improvement from where you are or where you started. And with that, I just also want to say, remember that full recovery is worth it and that you deserve full recovery. Full recovery is really your birthright and it is possible for you as long as you don't give up. So with that, I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you again for listening and I will see you next time.